0: So would you open your Bibles this morning at Romans and chapter 7? won't surprise you to know that we're starting in the book of Romans. And this morning we're calling Radical Redirection. And um, a few weeks ago I shared on Romans chapter 5 and we spoke about the radical righteousness that is ours, freely given to all people who believe in Jesus, confess him as saviour, say they're going to follow him. And in Romans 6, uh, we call this radical release and we we try to answer the question, so if this righteousness is free, if there's nothing that we can do of ourselves to make ourselves acceptable to God, can we not just keep living as we please? (coughs) Or to put it another way, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And as we looked at that a few weeks ago, we said, well, no, that can't be the right way to live. And... Uh, we, we looked in chapter 6 at the tools that Paul gives us for, um, for living a life that, that, that is full of the truth of the fact that we are dead to our sin. Yes. We, we said, didn't we, that we should know the truth. Yeah. Not just know the truth in a, in a head knowledge kind of way. Know the truth and speak it out over ourselves. That's really important. Yeah. We should actually reckon ourselves dead to sin. Count ourselves dead to sin. That is the new reality. The old is past, the new has come. Yes, and that we should also take responsibility, take responsibility, live as a slave of Christ. Our master is not our past, sinful nature. Our master is now our Lord Jesus. He should have our priority. And do you remember that I put a little slide up to show it saying the word "priority." It starts with the word "prior." And it's the thing we do before we do everything else. Jesus, as our master, has our priority in every aspect of our life. And this week, we look at Romans chapter 7, which poses and answers this question. If there is nothing we could have done of our own selves to be made righteous in God's sight, if our salvation is only found by trusting Jesus as our saviour, then what was and is the point of the law, as was given by God to his people, At the time of Moses, Mm. we're not talking today about the the law of the land, but primarily about the law given by God, the Ten Commandments, and the subsequent laws that He gave. Mm. And before we dive in and read Romans chapter 7 together, it's worth reminding ourselves of of something of Paul's upbringing, who he was, and his experience um, when he wrote the book of Romans, because Paul was. He was brought up as a devout Jew. He learned the law of God. Before he met Jesus, Paul was a Pharisee, somebody who studied carefully the law of God. He knew the law of God back to front and inside out. We know that Paul had been tutored by a Jewish rabbi called Gamaliel. He was an expert in the Torah, the Jewish law. And we know that Paul was an outstanding student. That was his reputation. Of all the people that studied the law, Paul was an outstanding student. So the law of God, if Paul was on mastermind, would have been Paul's specialist subject. So Paul isn't coming to this as someone with no experience. He's saying, no, I know and I've studied the law of God. So let's read Romans chapter 7. And we're going to read all of chapter 7 and the first little bit of chapter 8. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way by obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have had that power. At one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me, but still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for, what I want to, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong, it is sin living within me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him... He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. That's quite a long passage, and that middle bit is a bit of a tongue twister, as you probably <laughs> will have noticed. But, um, but we're going to look more closely at what that word means to us together this morning. You see, before the death and the resurrection of Jesus... Uh, which brought in the new covenant, the keeping of the law was the only measurement, the only yardstick that people had to know whether they were living lives that pleased God. It was all there was. And Paul describes people as being bound to the law like two people who are bound to one another in a marriage. And Paul uses this marriage um, allegory, and he says, well, well, you just imagine if you're Mrs. Law and you're married to Mr. Law, And uh, Mr Law is your husband. And Mr Law has a set of rules for your life. And as your husband, he insists that you live by those laws too. And you can't actually argue that they're a bad set of rules at all. In fact, they're a pretty good set of rules. But the thing is with Mr Law is that he doesn't help you at all. He's completely powerless to help you. When I imagine Mr Law, I don't know if anyone remembers the Harry Enfield show in the 1980s, which is where half the people go, no idea, and everyone else goes, oh, I remember. But there was a character in that, wasn't there? He used to turn up, he'd go, only me. And then he'd go around saying to people, you don't want to do that. Oh, I don't think you want to do that. Oh, I definitely don't think you should be doing that. That's Mr Law. That's Mr Law. That's the attitude of Mr Law. No helpful advice but constant criticism, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. Mr Law is not just a nagging husband, he's also impotent. That is, he's impotent to help you. He has no power to help you. He can tell you what not to do, but he doesn't give you any ability at all to turn the situation around and therefore that's a hopeless relationship you're in. If you're Mrs Law and married to Mr Law in that way. And because you're married to Mr. Law, you are bound to him to the day that one of you dies. Oh, and was one other thing. Mr. Law is never going to die. <laughs> Read the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. If you Mrs. Law... And bound to Mr. Law. What a hopeless situation you're in. But Paul says in Romans in chapter 7 that you can get out of your relationship with the nagging, impotent Mr. Law because a death has occurred. A death has already occurred. It's not the death of Mr. Law, it's your death. Because you've been crucified with Christ, the old has gone, you have died to the old sinful nature and we're now alive and have a new life with a new head. Jesus Christ as our master. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> we're no longer captive, no. verse 6, we are no longer captive no. to the power of the sinful nature. Right. That is the word of God. Yes. Now we can serve and honour God, not by adherence to the law, but by a new way of living in the spirit. Yes. Yes. You, so what is the point of the law? Is the law bad or even sinful? Well, no, the law is good. Paul wrote this to Timothy. We know that the law is good when used correctly, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. So Paul says the law is good. The law shows us clearly what is sin sin. And what is not sin? Paul himself states that knowing the law showed him his sin. The law does not make us sinful. That's our sinful nature that makes us sinful. But Paul goes further to explain that knowing the law made him realise how tragically terrible his sinful nature was. So let's look at some of the aspects of the law that Paul would have grown up with and studied. So here we are. You might recognise some of these. I hope you recognise ten of them. (laughs) So here we are. These are the Ten Commandments. You must must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honour your father and mother. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbour. You must not covet. Those are the Ten Commandments. That was the primary law given by God to to the children of Israel, which he told them that they were to live by in order to honour him. That's what Paul would have studied. He would have tried to practice that himself. He would have been zealous to see that practice in the lives of other people. But when he reflects on that time... This is what he says, starting at verse 7. It was, in fact, the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had said, You must not covet. But God used that command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. So, Paul is saying that the command not to do something actually stirred something up in his sinful nature. And it's interesting that Paul used the commandment not to covet as the one which really showed up his sinful nature. You you could argue, he could have argued, that he would give give them the outward impression of keeping most of those commandments. He might have said, well, I've not killed anyone. And um, I've honoured my father and my mother. I always keep the Sabbath holy. That was probably the one he would have been really, really zealous about. But, you know, covetousness is such an internal attitude isn't it it's such a um it's it's a desire to have things which we don't have it's a it's a sin which just works its way on the inside and paul realized that he had fallen to this sin of covetousness in his life and as a breaker of one of god's laws he knew he'd broken all of god's law and therefore he was dead he was dead in his sin the last section of chapter seven, this is verses 14 to 25, can be quite difficult to understand. Not only is it a tongue twister, but among the various teachers and commentators on this chapter, there's, there's some differences of opinion <coughs> as to what Paul really means. And when we look at a passage like this, we need to be cautious in our approach, um, knowing that sometimes they can bring some um, controversy but we can also trust the Holy Spirit to bring light and revelation to what we're reading. And my own conviction is this. I believe we very much need to read this section of scripture in context of the rest of the book of Romans Mm -hmm. and also in the light of what Paul and other apostolic scripture writers have to say. So in chapter six, Paul makes statements such as this. Since we have died to sin, How can we continue to live in it? We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. When we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. And in chapter 7, the one we're looking at today, we have statements like this. I am all too human, a slave to sin. And I know that nothing good lives in me. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh, what a miserable person am I. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Can you see, you would fail not to see, the difference between what Paul is writing in chapter 6 and what Paul is writing in chapter 7? Can Paul, first of all, declare freedom from the sinful nature in chapter 6 and then appear to be wallowing in it and struggling with it in chapter 7? It doesn't seem to make sense. You know, We all have a bad day, but can Paul uh, really say, and I know that nothing good lives in me? Mm. It doesn't make sense. Paul can't be talking about his present condition. Um, I believe the most helpful way to read this passage is to imagine ourselves as Paul, the young, zealous Pharisee, a studier of the Jewish law one who is relying on his own law-keeping to making acceptable to God. In that context, we can very much understand his frustration with an impotent, that is, having no power, law. So let me read these verses again and imagine ourselves as Paul, the young Pharisee, believing that we are made acceptable with God through the keeping of the law only. See what it says, I really don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong, it is sin living within me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what is wrong but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And I love the law of God with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominant? dominated by sin and death. And you know, I don't believe this passage of Scripture is here to make us feel better as followers of Jesus when we find ourselves in the middle of a struggle with sin in our lives. It's not the passage to turn to and to take heart and say, oh, that's fine, because Paul was like this as well. It's not there for that purpose at all. I want us to see beyond that kind of thinking. This passage is here, because it reminds us that dutiful obedience to an impotent law will only lead to frustration and a feeling of uselessness. It's here to point us to another truth, which is exactly what Paul does next in this letter to the Romans. Because Paul says, that was then. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That's the difference. An impotent law, powerless to help us, powerless to save us, only condemning, only accusing, only leading to death, compared to a powerful, life-giving Holy Spirit given to believers. Powerful to bring redirection. Powerful to bring freedom from sin. Powerful to bring life and not death. No condemnation. No No condemnation. If we're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Tilly, in Christ there is no condemnation. Kate, no condemnation. Carl, no condemnation. Sarah, no condemnation. Matt, no condemnation. Believe it. This is the truth. This is what Paul has to tell us. If we're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Listen to what Paul writes elsewhere concerning facing sin and temptation. 1 Corinthians 10. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. God is at work in that situation. 1 Corinthians 6, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, not under the law, but not everything is good for you. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not be a slave to anything. Mm. Because we've got a new master. It's Jesus. Mm -hmm. Philippians 2, dear friends... You always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is working in you. New life in the Holy Spirit. This is what um, Peter and John, other apostolic scripture writers said. Peter says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. And John writes, anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. I think what John is meaning there is, along with forgiveness of sin, comes a new life. Mm. And with that new life comes the Holy Spirit. Mm. And actually, you need to understand all of that, because it's in Holy Spirit life that there is power to overcome sin. And if there is real power to be found in the life of the Spirit, and I believe there is, then surely our priority should be to press in to that Holy Spirit powered life. Radical redirection. Instead of dutiful, dead rule keeping, learn to build a deep, personal relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. To acknowledge Him, to listen to Him, Mm -hmm. to receive His counsel to allow the evidence of his power to show in our lives. We read, don't we, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the evidence in our lives is love, it's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can we bring that up on the screen? is Galatians chapter 5, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things, i.e. they are all lawful. If we are living this way, we actually will be living within the law, even though the law is not our master. Christ is our master. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And that's Paul's message in Romans chapter 7 and the start of chapter 8. Let us follow the Spirit's leading. We, we will achieve nothing by trying to have a dutiful obedience to something that is dead. Mm -hmm. It is only by life and Holy Spirit life that we can know an overcoming of the sinful nature in our lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's put these words on the screen again. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the, powerful of the, life, the power of the life giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Yes. And you know, it's in the light of those words that we're today invited to examine ourselves before we come to the Lord's table. This is a simple meal that we're going to share this morning it's ordinary bread and it's ordinary wine. But it's also a sacred meal. It's a meal for believers. For those who know that they wear the righteousness of Jesus, know that they are dead to sin and alive to Christ. For those who know that there is no condemnation because the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing or proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup this is what we've described a few times now as a a stop and think moment does that apply to me For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honouring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. It's a sombre warning, isn't it? And the call to examine ourselves is one we should take really seriously. And therefore, when we come around this table today, we, we should come thoughtfully and carefully and soberly, But we can also come today with great joy. We can come thankfully. We can come noisily. We can come enthusiastically. No condemnation. No condemnation. We've got something to celebrate together this morning around this table. No condemnation. Yeah, we can let our hearts swell with gratitude this morning as we come around this table. Stephen is going to lead us in the breaking of bread in just a few minutes. We're going to sing first. But as we share bread and, uh, and drink wine together, it would be really good to invite a couple of people from the body to just take the microphone and pray, giving thanks for the, 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 uh, the, the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus. So uh, when that time comes, that might well be you. Please be bold. Please come pray on behalf of the body. Please... Um, Please come with a heart swelling with gratitude, no condemnation, no condemnation. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.